24. Exodus chapter 24. We have finally uh, gotten briefly out of the legal material and back into the narrative. And the narrative essentially picks up immediately where it left off in chapter 19. Remember in chapter 19, Israel arrives at Sinai. Moses leads the people out and says, we're going up the mountain to meet God. Like, this is it, folks. We were expelled from Eden, cast out of the presence of God. The cherub stood at the gate to keep us away. Now, we can just march right up the mountain, back into God's presence. And Moses goes up and tries to confirm that with God, and God says, no. No, the people are not coming up. Not on your life, Moses. And then God proceeds to give the Ten Commandments and the Book of the Covenant, which we've looked at over the past year or so. And then he starts chapter 24 by saying, All right, now 74 of you can come up to me. Exodus 24, verse 1. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar, and Moses alone shall come near the Lord. But they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you, according to all these words. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hand, so they saw God, and they ate and drank. Let's pray. Father, yet another mountaintop moment of revelation. Free us from distraction. Help us to focus on Your word, draw us up as you did Moses and Aaron and the 72 others that we might see your glory. Let us see the God of Israel tonight, Father. Before our very eyes, may Christ be portrayed as crucified. Help me to speak boldly and accurately. Give us all the grace to listen carefully, to worship with our ears as we come into your presence. We pray these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. So the narrative resumes. Israel 
came out of Egypt to go into the presence of God. They got to Sinai. They thought, this is it. This is the moment. And then God said, no, the people are not to come up. Only Moses. Here's all the ordinances. Here's Ten Commandments. Here's four chapters of the Book of the Covenant. So, that's what we've been looking at. Now, Moses is still on the mountain with God in verses 1 and 2. And God says, here's the invitation. Just 74 of you can come up. The people cannot come up. 74 of you are invited. Now, what's odd about this invitation is that it's not followed by the invitation being answered. Rather, God says, come up to me. And then Moses and the 73 others going up isn't recorded until verse 9. In verses 3 to 8, in the middle here, we have this covenant ratification ceremony. God says, come up to me. But the way that invitation is answered first is seemingly by the covenant ratification ceremony with the blood of the covenant. It's almost as though by sandwiching the ratification between the invitation to the presence of God and the accepting of that invitation, Moses is saying there are actually two ways into the presence of God. Some go into God's presence by physically ascending the mountain. The vast majority of people, Joe Israelite, comes into the presence of God through the covenant ceremony, through being sprinkled by the blood of the covenant. This invitation to come up to God, in other words, has two levels, as it were. One is the sealing of the covenant, and the other is through physical ascent. And actually, the one that is primarily uh, used, the one that is ongoing in the life of the people of God, is the covenant ratification ceremony, the sharing of the blood of the covenant, the sprinkling of the blood of the covenant. Moses does that for Israel. That's how they encounter God. And I would go so far as to say that that is still how we today encounter God. You don't have to be a mountaineer and climb Sinai or any other physical peak to come into the presence of God. The key is having the blood of the covenant applied to you, which is exactly what happens in this passage. So Israel comes into God's presence in our text tonight. They do so literally in the person of the mediator who goes physically into the presence of God on Sinai. But they also do so sacramentally or through the covenant ceremony, which brings them into God's presence symbolically through the application of the blood of bulls. Well, let's look at this Israelite, uh, this Israelite, this invitation. Come up to the Lord, you, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. If you're Joe Israelite, you're tempted to hear the words of that invitation and say, forget it. I will never be invited to the presence of God. I'm not Moses. I'm not Aaron. I'm not one of the big dogs. I'm not an elder of Israel, nor am I going to be. How will I ever meet with God? The answer is, not by physically climbing the mountain, but by spiritually participating in the ceremony that is about to take place. This come up here, come up to the Lord, is paralleled 
in two different places in the book of Revelation. Fascinating. John is told in Revelation 4, Come up here, and I will show you what may take place after these things. Like Moses ascending the mountain, so John goes up into the presence of God. But the church as a whole is also portrayed as caught up into the presence of God in Revelation 11 with the two witnesses. After three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were beholding them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Right, A direct quote from Exodus chapter 24. And they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies saw them. Revelation 11, 11. It's the same pattern. The invitation to come up for the invitation to come up to heaven, given first to the privileged mediator of Revelation, Moses or John, and then extended to the whole congregation through a symbolic or sacramental format. So just as what we see in what we see in Exodus 24 is told again, rewritten in Revelation. I would also note that when God says 70 of the elders can come up, he's saying a complete set of the representatives of Israel can come up. Just as Genesis chapter 10 records the 70 nations of the world, just as Jesus sent out 70 men as missionaries, so God calls 70 elders to come up into his presence. The number reflects completeness, 7 times 10. 7 is a number of completeness, 10 is a number of completeness. You multiply the two, you have a double completeness. So to invite the 70 elders is to invite the completeness of Israel. If the 70 elders are invited, all Israel is invited. But at the same time, God himself goes on immediately to draw a distinction between the 73 and Moses. Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near. Nor shall the people go up with him. So the people are symbolically invited in terms of inviting the 70 elders, but the people are not physically invited. Don't let the people come up the mountain at this stage either. In fact, don't even let the high priest Aaron, don't let his sons, don't let the 70 elders come near the Lord. Moses alone comes near the Lord. The 73 worship from afar is what verse 1 says. Uh, the night before I was working on this sermon, we were at roadway prayer meeting and somebody at our table thanked God in his prayer that we don't need a mediator to approach him. I was shocked because it's right here. Moses alone shall come near. Only the mediator can ascend personally and physically directly into the presence of God. Israel as a whole is represented, but they only go partway up the mountain. Right? The people are outside. Outside the tabernacle, as it were. The 70 elders and the three priests, they are in the holy place. Only Moses can enter the holy of holies on the mountaintop. Well, of course we need a mediator to approach God. We have a mediator. Thank God. But don't thank God that we don't need a mediator. 
So come up to God. That's the invitation. That verse 3 begins with this, so. So Moses came. Right? In response to the invitation to come up to God, Moses descends the mountain. And it doesn't say, so Moses went down the people and told the 70 elders and Aaron and his sons to get ready. That it's almost like the narrator drops that entirely to indicate to us that this covenant ceremony is how Israel will come into the presence of God. This is how you ascend the mountain, Israel, through the sealing of the covenant. Moses describes to the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, everything from chapter 19 onward. What is a covenant? Moses is describing the terms of the covenant. A covenant is a pact or federation. It is the most serious of all contracts. The covenant is best defined, I think, as President PCA Minister O. Palmer Robertson says, a bond in blood sovereignly administered. So it's serious. That's where the blood comes from. If you break a covenant, you are sentenced to death. It's not just a paper bond, a bond in signatures, a bond in ink. It is a bond in blood. The covenant binds till death or past death. Also, a covenant is sovereignly administered. That means that there is an enforcement mechanism with unbreakable teeth. The covenant is sovereignly administered. Now, compare that, say, to the United Nations. If a UN member today decides it's going to go off the reservation and do what it wants, the UN is essentially powerless to stop it, particularly if it's a larger power, like Russia, for instance. But if the UN were sovereignly administered, it would have the ability to single-handedly force the compliance of any member state, indeed of all member states, at the same time. That's what sovereignly administered means. God sovereignly administers his covenants, and he has the power to force the compliance or to punish the non-compliance of all covenant parties at once. So Moses is presenting a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. And this is how he did it. This is what the text records. First, Moses proclaimed the terms audibly. He came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. I really got a kick out of the commentator who said, the people had just heard the Ten Commandments spoken audibly by the voice of God, so they wouldn't need them repeated. Right? What a great commentator. He must not live with any people. <laughs> Most of us need to have things repeated. Key ideas, key concepts, key rules have to be beaten into our heads. And the people are sold. Immediately they say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Some theologians have tried to say that this was a bad idea. That Israel should not have just said, oh yes, we'll do that. These theologians are off target, to put it mildly. Imagine Israel saying, some of what the Lord has spoken we won't do. And we won't always be obedient. In fact, God, we reject your terms. How would Israel have been better off by saying this? Right? They had just seen 
the Exodus. They had just seen what God did to Pharaoh. They had just seen what God did to Amalek. When God comes to you and says, I will make you a deal, it's an offer you can't refuse. What exactly do you have to offer if you want to cut a deal with God? Right? If you want the senator across the aisle to vote for your pet project, you better vote for his pet project. We have nothing to offer God that he has not given to us. If you want God to lessen the number of laws or to promise you something better than a land flowing with milk and honey large enough for seven nations, you better have something to offer him. And quite frankly, Israel didn't. And you and I don't. Israel had no choice in one sense but to accept the terms. And the terms are incredibly generous, righteous, just. We've just spent many months looking at God's terms and seeing throughout how good they are, how perfect they are, how perfectly fitted to human nature and human society. Well, Moses doesn't just proclaim the terms verbally. He then writes them down so that they are preserved. Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. If you and I make a deal verbally and then 10 years later we revisit the deal, we frankly don't remember what we said. The word of God is too important to be left to human memory. So Moses writes all this down and then presumably he goes to bed. And he rises early in the morning and he visualizes the terms for the people of God. He builds this altar and around it he puts 12 standing stones, 12 short pillars. Now why does Moses build an altar with 12 pillars around it? Well, he's saying a covenant is not a verbal bond. A covenant is a bond in blood. This altar is the place of death and sacrifice. The 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel, which the text tells us And so the altar represents, one could say, the presence of God in the midst of his people. God in the center at the altar, the 12 tribes of Israel all around him. The altar also shows that God is only present with his people through sacrifice, through death, through the shedding of blood. The altar is the place of death. Moses sends the young men to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. A burnt offering is wholly consumed. You kill the animal and then you burn the entire thing up. It symbolizes the worshiper giving his whole self to God. When you offer a burnt offering, you say, God, I am yours entirely. And that's what our offering portion of our worship is about. It's the burnt offering. God... I belong to you. The peace offering is roasted and then eaten by the worshiper, eaten with God as a covenant meal. For Israel to enter a covenant with God and sustain his presence in their midst, Israel has to totally dedicate themselves to God. That's the truth of the burnt offering. No half-hearted, well, God, I kind of serve you, but I sometimes serve Baal and I sometimes serve Moloch. And then when it's convenient, I come back to Yahweh. No, the burnt offering says, God, I serve you 24-7, 365. Israel also has to do the truth of the peace offering. We have to feast with God in joy over his good gifts. 
Covenant is not a half-hearted thing. That's what the burnt offering says. The double-minded are not welcome. But also, covenant is a generous, joyous thing, an occasion of feasting with God. Finally, Moses reserves half the blood in basins, but he sprinkles the other half on the altar. So the first thing sprinkled with blood is the altar, which represents God. God is the first one to assume the risk in this covenant. The blood is put on God's side of things first and only then onto the people. That's after the second reading of the terms. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people and they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. So they verbally affirmed it the previous day. Now they verbally affirm it a second time. Moses then takes the reserved blood in the basins and sprinkles it on the people. And he interprets his action verbally to say, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you. The blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you. So the terms are accepted here. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. Israel verbally accepted the covenant twice, and then they symbolically accept it, a third time by accepting the sprinkled blood, by letting the blood wash over them. Now, if we fast forward a little bit to the fate of these Israelites who made this covenant, what happened to them? Their carcasses fell in the wilderness, right? They took the blood on themselves and their blood was spilled because they broke the covenant. They were not obedient, and so they died. Just as the covenant said, if you break the covenant, you die. That's what the blood means. Accepting the blood being sprinkled on you affirms, yes, I will die if I break this covenant. The same goes for the Lord's Supper, right? If you partake of the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis, and then go off the reservation, turn away from God you are asking for greater condemnation. Far greater condemnation because you have willingly accepted the blood of the covenant and said, yes, I have entered a bond in blood. Yes, I understand that my life is forfeit if I break this covenant. When you do, look out. Moses gives us a final note. The covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. God is not entering a secret treaty with unknown clauses. Nations of the earth do this sometimes. We'll sign a treaty and parts of it will be secret so that most people in the government of the respective states don't even know what the treaty says. There's nothing like that in the covenant. Every bit of the covenant is summed up in the words that are publicly written down right here in the book. The covenant is coterminous with its terms that are written in the book. Israel entered a covenant with God. Better, Israel confirmed the covenant already made with Abraham and before that with Adam and Eve and the promise of the seed back in Genesis 3.15. It was one covenant. This law at Sinai did not annul the promises that God had already made to his people. Rather, it confirmed those promises. 
So when Israel said yes to this covenant at Sinai, what exactly were they saying yes to in layman's terms? We could say Israel is saying yes to God's promise of salvation through the seed as it was administered by Moses and the Levitical system summed up in the tabernacle. And we're saying, God, we accept your promise of salvation through the seed and we also accept the terms that tell us how to live as people who will be saved by that coming seed. People who keep the Ten Commandments, people who follow the Book of the Covenant and walk in justice and piety. So that's the first way of ascending to God. Through the covenant ratification ceremony and the sprinkling of the blood. And the Lord's Supper then, based on Jesus' quotation of this passage, is the Christian version of this covenant renewal ceremony in which the church participates every week. The blood of the covenant is applied to you and me at the Lord's table. This is how we ascend up into the presence of God. Now there was a physical ascent as well. Banished from the mountaintop of Edom, Adam, Eve, and their children wandered out into the world. Now, the cherubim are off duty. The way back to the mountaintop is open. For the representatives of the people, not for all the people, but it's a start. Moses went up. Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu went up. Seventy of the elders of Israel went up. Through physical ascent, they came up to God. And what did they see when they were with God? They saw the God of Israel. There is no greater privilege than to see the face of God. This is what you and I were made for. It is the ultimate blessing. We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. In Revelation 22, they shall see His face. Now, of course, the text strongly implies that the 74 saw no such thing. They saw the God of Israel, but in chapter 33, God tells Moses, you cannot see my face. If you see my face, you will die. What did they see? Well, Moses describes only the pavement under his feet. Sapphire, stone, like the very heaven for clearness. It's almost like they saw perhaps the feet of God or the soles of his shoes resting on the firmament of heaven, on the top side of it. But even that, right, even that, it is closer to the glory of God, closer to the fire of his being than you and I have ever been in the flesh. They saw God in some way, at some level, in some sense, and that is the promise of the covenant. That is the outcome of being joined to the Almighty by a bond in blood. They will see His face. We will see His face someday through Christ and we will live. Moses has to comment on that. They saw the God of Israel But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. What does that mean? Apparently that he did not reach out to harm them 
in anger. They saw God and lived. The glory of God would fry you in an instant. Would fry these 70 elders in an instant. But because of the mediator's presence, it didn't. God is a consuming fire, but he did not consume them. He did not lay his hand. In fact, he consented in some sense to participate in a covenant meal with him. They saw God and they ate and drank. When you are in covenant with God, you will get to see him. You will get to live with him. You will get to eat with him. Are you ready for that? Do you want to do that? We practice now by coming to the Lord's table. Getting ready for the consummate marriage supper of the Lamb. Through the blood, through the blood of the covenant, there is access to God's mountaintop presence for all of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cup which is the new covenant in Christ's blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, our minds are not equal to the glory that has already been revealed, much less to the glory that shall be revealed. But We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We ask that you would give us that beatific vision, that we would be blessed beyond all blessing by seeing the face of God, to know you as you truly are, to bask in your presence. Happy are your men, happy are your servants who stand before you and hear your wisdom. Father, count us worthy to attain to that age, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.